Section86.com. We're changing the world of podcasting one show at a time. 86 Productions. Podcast by the most in depth insight and analysis into the world of professional wrestling. On today's show, we have Aaron Roger and Doug join Andrews. We discuss this month's view from the turnbuckle. So let's get right into AEW's revolution. So, Aaron, uh, Ricky starts. I'm sorry, Ricky Starks actually has a strong performance against uh, Chris Jericho. I mean, what do you think about that one? Yeah, uh, Jericho, I think now is 0 4 at Revolution. Uh, so he's lost every single time uh, there, which is kind of crazy. And in particular, uh, he lost in the opening bout to Ricky Starks. I will say, talking about the feud, I am less than impressed. I am a huge fan of Chris Jericho's, but the Jericho Appreciation Society, when it first started, I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, there are a few things that he had done in there that were entertaining, but for the most part, I'm kind of like, I'm over it, and I kind of feel like Jericho needs to go away for a little while. Uh, One of the things I do want to call out, though, in the, the match itself, one, I do think that Jericho did help make Ricky Starks look like a formidable opponent. I think that does really help elevate his game. I really like the ending, blocking the, um, uh, oh, what is his finisher called? Jericho's finisher. Judas, Judas effect. effect. Judas Effect. Blocking the Judas Effect was absolutely amazing. I It was one of those things where it was a, oh, moment that you typically don't see very often. And so to get that type of surprise and that win, I think was really big for Ricky Starks. I think this is a great thing for Ricky Starks. Uh, it's going to boost his career a lot. Uh, the fact that, you know, it also shows they're not doing the true 50-50 booking because uh, this is the second time he's beaten him in a one-on-one con- uh, competition. So uh, I didn't mind the setup too much for it. I'm looking forward to see what they do with Ricky Starks going forward. Um, but Jericho, this was one he didn't need to win. It's great that he's putting over uh, young talent and – We'll see where they go with uh, both of them there. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Starks do something a little bit more important with his next feud, and I'd like to see Jericho kind of switch it up, whether he went to trios or the tag, just something different. That's kind of why I enjoy the Ring of Honor. That kind of can... The Jericho Appreciation Society is what it is. They are a good use of people who, for the most part, don't really fit anywhere else, and they're kind of just all under Jericho's tree. but. I don't need them in big high profile feuds anymore. They are what they are. Yeah. I, I, the fact I, and I like the fact that like we've, I think we've said it before, like anytime you can have a wrestler who it's not about, it's basically like they can turn something into a sort of like withholding with Jericho. Cause you know, like you said earlier, he's Owen four, you know, next year they can turn that into some type of storyline where, you know, leading up to it, like, Hey, he, you can't win at this, at this pay-per-view. And like, they could almost tease him about it if you want and have him lose or whatever. But yeah, I'm really happy though with Ricky Starks. I'm still, I'm still, I'm become more of a fan recently. So good for him. Uh, next thing we had Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy and Christian. They had a, a very uh, interesting match. Uh, so Roger, what did you think about um, the uh, what what Jungle Boy did to Christian? It was 
the natural conclusion to this feud. This is kind of what we're all waiting for. Much like I said with Ricky Starks, Jungle Boy needs to go move on to more important things, but he needs to deal with Christian once and for all. I actually think Christian, if his biggest accomplishment in AEW is turning Jungle Boy Jack Perry into a legitimate threat. And that's what I believe he was brought in to do and mission accomplished. If we never see Christian again in AEW, you know, I was skeptical when they got him and I look back on his run and say, job well done. If Jungle Boy becomes the main eventer that I think he can be, excellent work. And if Jungle Boy were to win the title and he has one more match with Christian, I wouldn't mind it. Like that, just sometimes you bring a guy in to get a guy over and Cage did his job. I'm glad that this feud is over. It took way too long to get to this final conclusion. I know injuries were involved uh, that delayed it a lot. Um, And I know that this is the storyline that they wanted to get through, but it just, it seemed... It seems like this has taken way too long to get to this point. So I am glad that they made this a buried alive match because it truly is a dead conclusion of this uh, storyline. So uh, I'm glad that Jungle Boy won um, and he can move on and hopefully he does get into more of a title uh, competition, whether it be for the TNT title or um, the main uh, AEW title. Yeah, I definitely echo your guys' thoughts and, you know, uh, agree with you 100%, Roger, about Christian, because when they, you know, unfortunately, when they uh, build him as like this Hall of Famer, and yes, he is a Hall of Famer, but you're building people's expectations to be like Kurt Angle was going to be joining AEW. And, you know, it's unfortunate when the letdown is Christian, because Christian's a a very hard worker, Uh, but this, they use him really well. I think that's one of the things that I feel AEW has done a good job at is using their legendary talent you know jericho even though i i crapped on him a little bit earlier he has done a very good job of putting a lot of people over i think he's a little overused at this point but christian has done a very good job as has other veterans um you know that they've they've been able to utilize some of their talent to give others the rub so uh great way to end the feud i do i'm kind of curious andy christian he might be done and he might be going back to wwe what are your thoughts on that that's that's the interesting uh angle here because you could you could potentially see that that uh christian coming in possibly to a feud by you know the end of the month which which is a possibility i don't know if it'll happen but it would be interesting though if he had you know like let's say edge i don't know like somebody somehow edge can't take uh, judgment day keeps getting in i know they're gonna do hell in the cell but wouldn't be interesting though to have christian kind of come out and help edge right after he was just with you know, AEW. I mean, that's, and, you know, I know Triple H would do it for Christian, but I think I'm almost thinking it would be like a one off thing. But that would be a very interesting thing to see him jump ship like that because I don't think AEW even has a non compete clause in their contracts. Or if they are, I mean, maybe Christian just didn't have it. But that, that would be cool to see him uh, show up at WrestleMania. But, yeah, uh, moving on, though, uh, the the House of Black, uh, House of Black, I, it feels like they just came back recently, but the House of Black, they come in and they win the trio tiles. So, Doug, what did you think about uh, them coming in and doing that? Um, I know I picked the Elite to win, uh, but I'm not surprised. I think I was more 45, 55 on the Elite on this one. I figured if anybody was going to lose the titles, it would be them. Uh, this is good because uh, the elite don't need the titles in order to have great storylines or great matches or anything like that. So what better way to finally get the House of Black to make them feel more like the dominant force that they should? Because before this match, can you honestly say what 
matches they've won that have been big in consequence or anything like that. Because uh, it's mostly been pushovers or um, just nothing great for them. So hopefully with giving them the titles, they'll start to feel like a bigger, better threat uh, and that they can do something with the, with, with the titles and have a good run with them while the elite can go and do other things. Yeah, House of Black had kind of fallen into that Wyatt family trap of you're telling me all the great things and spooky things you're going to do. I kind of need you to show me the great things you're going to do. And by beating the elite with, you know, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, the pillars of AEW, it really makes the House of Black look like a true threat. I thought this match was fantastic. I've always wanted to see these six go at it. I love all three members in the House of Black. Julia Hart's been a great addition. But What's nice about this, they just beat them straight up. They just proved to be the superior trios team, and I'm looking forward to whatever they do in the future. And these titles allow them to insert themselves into a lot of storylines. And they're the type of team that can face other heels and not care because they are just who they are, which makes them a very interesting choice of champion. Yeah, and you know, I feel like the Elite with a tag trio titles, while they should have it at some point, I feel like that they can be used better in other capacity. You know, Kenny Omega is a main eventer. And so I would want to see him in a main event setting. And the Young Bucks are really great in a tag format. And the trios is a very different type of, it is obviously a tag, but it's slightly different. And the House of Black, you know, Malachi Black was a main eventer in NXT and he was an upper mid card ish in on SmackDown, at least for a little bit. And here he's, you know, probably mid card ish. And it's, I think, a great way to use him along with the other two um, in the House of Black. So that way they can hold the trio titles and then eventually lose it to somebody down the road, whoever might be, you know, worthy enough taking it from him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just glad to see them, you know, come back. And I echo guys' thoughts on that. So um, Adam Page, um, I it feels like he's uh, kind of got his, uh, he's got, he's come, coming back in a way. Uh, he he gets a, a good solid win um, over John Moxley of all people. Um, so Aaron, what did you think about how this happened? Like, how, especially I, the few a, that it, that led to it. Yeah, it's a great match. Actually, um, it was interesting. Uh, Adam Page had a I think it was like a hardcore match against Lance Archer a year and a half ago or so, and I think that that might have been one of my favorite Adam Page. I'm I'm not a huge Adam Page fan. I don't think he's terrible or anything, but um, I think he might be like slightly overrated. At least he is to me. But his match with Lance Archer really showed me something. And I, it's the same thing for this one, too. I think that he he played to Moxley's strengths in the same way he did to Lance Archer. And it really made the match that much more intense. Uh, the one thing that I this is I'm going to I'm going to nitpick real quick. Uh, but I don't like the fact that they kept calling it a Texas death match and then they didn't use that stipulation um, or the fact that it ended with a submission. That was a little interesting to me and, and i don't know the entire rules when it comes to that my understanding is that they have to be knock out our submission is it's it knock so, out our submission knock out our submission it is not last man standing is what you're thinking of where it's just the 10 count okay um well, well i know that uh, texas death match historically has been you have to pin the opponent and then they're down for the 10 count is typically what it has been minor nitpick you know it is what it is but um if anything else, it is a very interesting way to end it by having it end with a submission because you're not expecting that. So I think that that was cool. I think this one might have gotten five stars from Dave Meltzer, and I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Um, I think that was it was, you know, for there were a few matches, I think, that really stood out. This was one of them. And then we're going to talk about a couple in a second. And also, I think the trios match was probably one of the, the best matches of the night as well. But this one was also really good. So when 
Page was the champion, and I'm a, I'm a big Hangman Page, Page fan. <laughs> Logically, the next person for him after he had dealt with Adam Cole was going to be Moxley. And the reason was because of this match right here. I thought they would a- were able to bring the violence out of one another. They have a good contrasting style in both in-ring as well as the personality. You know, Moxley is just your classic, you know, tough guy, going to beat you up. He's going to bleed buckets of blood every single night. And Paige is more of like the the millennial, the cowboy who Mitchie has issues. So it's like they could play off each other on the microphone. They could play off each other in the ring. And they're really good. I think they did a couple too many matches. I want to say they did four, which just felt like too many. Um, sometimes a best of three is all you need to do. I, I don't want them to be feuding anymore. I think they, in traditionally, AEW's done a good job of moving people apart. It doesn't sound like they're necessarily done yet, which is unfortunate. But Hangman Page to me should be the next challenger for the championship. And this was a good way to solidify that he is back. I mean, to make John Moxley submit, I don't think that ever happened before. The list of people who even beaten John Moxley in AEW is like a handful. It's under five. So, you know, good job on Page. Good job on Mox. I don't necessarily love Blood and Guts all that much, except for the actual Blood and Guts match. But this this Texas death match felt like a good death match between two guys who were okay with killing one another if necessary. And well done by both. You know that that's an interesting question, Doug. Do you think it's time to move on from the? Uh, I would call. I would almost say the uh, CM Punk Adam Page version. Because mm. didn't it seem like he was toned down? At least no. Um, I, I think this was a great way to showcase Adam Page, uh, and I mean Moxley loves those kind of death style matches and everything like that. Uh, you knew they were both going to bleed in this one, and as might. Correct me if I am wrong, but I don't think Adam Page has lost a Texas death match uh, in AEW. So I like the, all, that aspect of it, too, where he has his match, kind of like how Hell in a Cell was meant for The Undertaker. Um, you have certain matches meet certain people, and the Texas death match can become Adam Page's kind of go-to, I guess. Um, like Aaron said, though, that this win, it... it propels him up to where he could be the next contender for the for the title. Uh, I think that'd actually be a great way to showcase it, where Adam Page beat one of the more dominant uh, champions in AEW, so now he should be able to uh, catapult himself over to the uh, the title, ma- uh, title match. Um, and I think that would be even good for MJF, because you don't need necessarily Adam Page to regain the title anymore, uh, or at this point, but could give uh, MJF a really good boost in his uh, run. So I, I, I'm i not a big fan of these styles of matches because I don't necessarily need uh, hardcore blood and all that stuff. And there's definitely some cringeworthy things that happen in this match. Um, it just seems a little bit overdone, I think, a little bit by Moxley because every match seems like a Texas death match for him. Um, but you know what, if that's how you're going to do it and that's how you're going to roll with it, uh, so be it. And I don't think these two need to fight each other again until at least one of them. And maybe Adam page eventually does win the title again and you have him fight Moxley one more time, but, uh, these two can move on and Moxley can go build up, uh, um, another, you know, championship resume and Adam page can go on for the title. 
I think it's fascinating what you said there, Doug, which is that, you know, not liking these style matches. Cause I remember back in the nineties, ECW was out and it was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Or like, there's a thing called a scaffold match where you throw somebody off and like they fall through all these tables and break legs. It is so cool. And it's really funny. Cause I don't know if it's the older you get, if like your tastes just really change, but you see that and you're like, he's going to hurt himself. Like what's yeah. he doing? It, no, no. I think that's exactly it is. is that I've, I've gotten older and it's, I, I, I appreciate what ECW was. It was exciting. It was the nineties. We were, you know, in our teens. Um, but now I'm getting to that point of fandom and the fact that it's like, I want to see these people have a long career. I want to continue to watch them have a career. And at this point, I'm going to say Moxley has maybe five, five years at the most. If he, well, can, I think we, five, if he keeps this up, that two. I think we saw the consequences from the people who went through ECW, which is to Aaron's point, you get a little bit older, but I think watching the amount of wrestlers that we've watched die young Mm -hmm. probably makes you rethink. And I think also even crossing sports, the NFL talking about what happens with the effects of CTE also changed things. Like I used to look at Mick Foley taking a chair shot to the head and be like, dude, that was gruesome. Now I'm like, don't do that. Like when, when Sean Spears hit Cody Rhodes, I was like, don't do that. I I, I don't need that level of realism. Like right. I don't need you to take that headshot anymore. And it's just the situation has changed the same way we used to celebrate jacked up hits. I don't want to see people like mankind get thrown off the cell anymore. Like I'm good. That that's, you don't need to kill yourself for my enjoyment. Darn it. <laughs> I, I kind of, I disagree with that. I like it when they do that. If uh, the initial shot shows that it looked like they got hurt, and then you see the fan shot where you're like, that didn't do anything. Then I'm okay. But like, that's that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. The, yeah, I'm talking about the Foley thing, where he literally went through a table. I don't think Jericho gets pushed onto a crash pad. No one's really going to get hurt there. I think right. he kind of hurts his arm. But I don't want to see the Mike Awesome doing dives off the triple cage or stupid stuff that could potentially, you know, literally kill people. I just... I don't need that anymore. It's it's entertainment, not uh, stunt and work to yeah. try to hurt. We don't we don't want to see another uh, mass uh, transit incident. No, and, and you know, like Mick Foley to that point. I mean, he can barely walk. He's in so much pain, and I mm-hmm. want to say he's only like in his fifties. You know, and he is in constant pain because of what he had done. And while I appreciate it for the time, I I actually don't like even watching it now, knowing that it happened or like going through the cell when Undertaker threw him threw him down there, and it's just. It's kind of cringeworthy and back bringing it back to AEW. I agree with you, Doug. I think Moxley needs to kind of tone down blade every once in a while. Absolutely. But when it's every single match, it's we're not talking about, Oh, he, he got blood. It's, Oh, he didn't get blood this time on, on mm-hmm. dynamite. He didn't, you know, on rampage. He did, but I'm not on dynamite. You just really need to look at dusty Rhodes's forehead. If that tells you anything or Superfly. You don't want to blade that much. And I know that, that they're doing it smart, but like, come on, like, Give me one. Give me. Give me like five matches in a row where there's no no one's juicing. That's all I ask. I don't. I don't ask for much. But, anyways. So, uh, and the other thing that that um in Roger, uh, maybe I'm just I'm confused by this. Why did Wardlow win the title on Sunday? Then then drop it on so, Wednesday. This actually makes sense in my opinion. Wardlow needed to finish the storyline with Samoa Joe. So it would make sense that he would win the title over Samoa Joe to basically become the victor because I love Joe. My, my fandom of Joe knows no bounds, but Samoa Joe is not the future of this company. Wardlow is. So logically, Wardlow should be the winner. However, having said that, I think Wardlow should be moving on to bigger and better things in the TNT Championship. So it does make sense to have a guy like Powerhouse Hobbs take that title. And he is establishing the book of Hobbs and he is becoming a big name because, quite frankly, 
Wardlow right now could be the next challenger for the World Heavyweight Championship, and it wouldn't look out of place considering their history. So this was the right call. He wins at the pay-per-view. I also, what I really enjoyed about this is that you know, if you kind of think about how NXT used to be, not every match got on the card of the TakeOver special, but you had matches that were built up for the following NXT that you would talk about. Hobbs sitting in the stands holding the ring sort of made me think, I want to see that match on Dynamite. And then Hobbs wins a big main event match. You know, he gets a little bit of assistance, but whatever. And now he's a TNT champion. And now Wardlow still looks strong. You look at him going forward. I mean, you see where he goes from this. So I think this is actually very well done. The match was, it was what it was. You know, those two don't really have great styles. I thought a triple threat would have been better, but I'm, I think they made the right call on both choices. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm fan booking it a little bit too much. Um, I it just I, I I figured you'd have Joe win this match, and you have Hobbs win it because once he won the brass ring, I was like, it's going to be Hobbs that's going to win this. So Wardlow doesn't need the title. He, like you said, he needs to go on to bigger and better things. You have Joe win this in a sly kind of way in the aspect like a roll-up or something like that. And then you have Wardlow just go off on him and basically injure, you know, almost injure Joe. And then Joe's hobbling to Hobbs. And that's another way that you have Hobbs beat Joe and make him look strong, but at the same time also not necessarily destroy Joe because he got whooped after the match. But that's again, that's that's what I was thinking. That's what I was looking forward to. So, uh, again, my disappointment, I guess, is in that aspect when when you when you think something so you're right, so wrong. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to see. And then all of a sudden you don't see it. And it's like, nope, don't like it. Nope, no. So it, it is what it is. Uh, I agree that Warlow doesn't need this title. Hobbs needs this title and build him up a little bit more, too. Um Wardlow can go on to better things. He can start, you know, his ascend to the, you know, because we all want to see it. We all want to see that MJF Wardlow. I don't think it's the next feud that he needs, but MJF Wardlow, bring it back when MJF has the title. Sure, no problem, um, but not necessarily. So let's see him build it up towards the the next, uh, being one of the next contenders. Just a quick thought on that before you go, Aaron. I would love to watch a number one contender match between Hangman Page and Wardlow. That would just be fun. Yeah, I, I agree with both your guys' points. And, you know, there is a lot of people that Wardlow could have feuds with. And Hangman would be a really good one. You know, he could have one with Moxley as well. Um, and there's a number of other people that are in the upper mid card or in the uh, main event scene that he could have feuds with. Because Wardlow, really, I mean, the the TNT title doesn't feel like that should be for him. You know, it, it feels like Kevin Nash in, in WWF, you know, or, you know, diesel, like him having the IC title isn't going to make a whole lot of sense going for the world title. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you know, so Wardlow, he seems more like he would be a, a very good main eventer to have. So we'll see what happens with that. So Andy, your girl, Soraya, she was unsuccessful in capturing the AEW women's title, but she was able to convert Ruby Soho over to her team, even though that uh, they were fighting during that match. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, is this a good direction, do you think, for them to go? I think in this case, it's good because uh, I, I think that's this is I, well, this is probably the second biggest thing Ruby's done. Um, so this, I think, does help uh, with Soraya's cause right now. I think everything that uh, something about um, having Ruby join basically what I would call team NXT. It's kind of cool in a way. 
So I, I want to see now what happens over the next three months to see if I actually like this. Because I think that that's going to be the big de decision. Because at first I'm like, hmm. just kind of like, hmm. so. But uh, yeah, if <laughs> yeah, and uh, I and yeah, Roger, you have the best point. Yes, I do agree. Call the team takeover. Um, so Ruby did a pretty good job of explaining her motivations on Dynamite about this. And basically it came out to when I lost to your little homegrown favorites, you cheered. And when I beat your homegrown favorites, uh, you booed me. So her motivations made sense. In fact, I think her motivations made more sense than Soraya and Tony doing this in the first place, which I really truly don't understand why they decided to go heal. It came out of nowhere. It was very bizarre. I think this is the right step. I don't think this group is done. I, I think Athena is a natural fit to join this group. And I've been saying from day one, I expect at some point Britt Baker to also make the shocking turn and join them because she's the one who's closest to the WWE divas. She's the one who makes sense to feud with Jamie Hayter at some point. But this, this was kind of the right first step for the first time. Honestly, the women have a legitimate storyline. They've had feuds before, but they've never really had a storyline that they could sink their teeth into. And this is that first one. So, you know, good for them. I enjoyed the match. Match. Jamie Hayter continues to look like a dominant champion. I think it's very interesting that Britt Baker is in the background, which I think is going to eventually lead to her turn because she's always been the star. And now for the first time, she's essentially a sidekick in this feud. So, you know, job well done. Uh, you know, the, what are they called? I know they're not actually called Taker. I want to say they call themselves the outcasts. They're kind of stealing a little bit from the NWO with the spray paint and the L's. And I think that's fine. Eventually, I would like to see what their actual mission and plan are. If they were women's tag belts, these two would be a perfect uh, chance to just take these and kind of run rush out of that division. So, so far, I'm enjoying it. I like that there is a real story. If we get maybe more than one women's match per Dynamite, that would be great. And whatever happened to Jade, by the way, is she still part of the company at this point? I feel like I never see her. Isn't she mostly on Rampage? Yeah, I never see her. Yeah. Roger, I like your uh, your aspect to it. I, I can't wait to see the application into the outcasts and their mission statement and uh, what you can bring to the stable. Um, it's I don't know. I, I I think they should have hinted a little bit more in the match that she was going to make the jump. Like there was more talk to it. Like if she would, if they would have both kind of focused on Hater, I just seemed seemed really weird that while watching it, it was. Equally done. Everybody fought everybody, you know, with the same intensity and everything like that. There was no inclination. And if anything, it really looked like they teamed up on Soraya. So it, it didn't. I, I think it could have been pulled off a little bit better. But at the same time, I have no problem with it going forward. They're going to be dominant. They didn't need to win. This gives a, a good win to Jimmy Hader. Uh, solidifies her reign a little bit uh, better. Um, and we'll see where it goes, but it, like I said, it, the, how it went off, I think it could have done a little bit better, uh, in the match and everything, everything, but you know what? It's each their own and we'll see how it goes. So uh, the other thing that, that I thought was really interesting. So the guns, they decide to, well, they're going to win the tag titles. Um, what happened, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, they had a main event on Dynamite, and typically when there's a main event with a, a world title, you know, or a title, I should say, um, you know, some things happen. And I they set this up pretty well uh, for the guns winning. I think that 
one of the things AEW does very well is they make the title wins believable. Like someone could win the title here. And I think that that's something that they've done a, a very good job at. They win the titles and then they announce it's going to be a three way at revolution, which was kind of interesting. It's like, Oh, okay, I guess we're going to do that. And then the acclaim came in. They're like, Oh no, we're going to cash in our, you know, our, our claws so we can get a rematch. And it was like, Oh, I guess we're four way now. That's, that's fascinating. I, I, one of the things I think AEW is lacking in right now though is a little bit of the star power when it comes to the tag division. Luckily we have, you know, so we're going to talk about in a second FTR is back to challenge them. So having FTR there, having the elite potentially there, the acclaimed that really helps bolster it a little bit more. Nothing against Danhausen and orange Cassidy, but like, you know, they're, they're a joke tag team at that point. You know, they're not real contenders to it. Nobody, I think expected them to win. I, I assume Vegas size would be absolutely atrocious uh, for that. No one's going to be putting money on them. But uh, the guns as a tag team, it is what it is. FTR defeating them for the titles, though, that could be a pretty big boost. FTR having the titles, that really elevates it quite a bit, and then they can have some really great matches with some other teams. Yeah, I thought FDR was going to go back to WWE because they had that uh, nice photo they put on. Yeah, I know. But I thought it was kind of funny that they posted that. But, uh, yeah. So that's, you know, so that's the other thing. Like, uh, you know, I know, Doug, like you're a fan of tag team wrestling. So what what exactly do you think they could do to make this? Do you think they're going the right direction with the tag tile, especially with the guns? Um, it it will be what it is. The guns, I don't think, are going to be long term tag tile holders. Uh, they're they seem like a placeholder kind of thing. It would be a great way to get the tag titles on F, uh, FTR without them having to beat the acclaim, um, which you know they they did that match way earlier, and I was like, I don't know. You have FTR crowd favorites you also have the acclaim which are super hot right now you don't really have them fight for the titles unless you had something screwy go on which you know would have been the uh ass boys uh interfering but it just it it didn't happen which i was very happy about because i don't like the uh interference i want to see a good match um but they they did that match already and now it's uh, a way for them to get the titles to FTR without them, you know, really hurting the acclaim. So uh, I don't mind this. It's a short-term thing, I think, and it's just a matter of time before somebody else steps up and takes the title. So on a previous podcast, I remember um, Aaron had mentioned that he thought there was a bit of a conundrum on how do you get the titles from the acclaimed to the FTR, who feel like right now the hottest tag team in the world. And he correctly said, you probably just have to have the guns win. And and that's exactly what I think it is. The guns are transitional champions. I, in no way, shape, or form, believe that they're going to hold these titles past the next pay-per-view, even if they even get to the next pay-per-view. And that's okay. Not every single championship needs to be a long six-month run. The guns are upstarts. They won it on a fluke. They should logically lose left FTR, who are arguably the best tag team in the entire world. So I have no problem with this. I also think that once FTR wins, you can get back to having those great classic matches. Give me FTR versus the Bucks three all day. Give me FTR versus the Lucha Brothers all day. Give me FTR versus the Acclaim part two all day. There are so many good matches to be had, but they just don't involve the guns. <laughs> like I'm just going to be honest. The guns are what they are. They are average. They work hard. They stay within their lane, but they are the definition of average and they're not FTR. They had no business beating FTR more than once. They've already beaten them. They should lose the next time. They should lose the titles. The pop will be insane because everybody loves FTR. I'm glad they're back. But, you know, we know where this is going, and that's okay. There's no problem with that. 
one thing so i, I gotta say the main event for AEW, um that was amazing the, the iron man match with you know daniel bryan brian Dan- oh now i'm sorry brian danielson and mjf i thought it was phenomenal i i, I his, daniel, did, did uh daniel bryan have one in, in uh wwe because i thought that's something that he wanted to do maybe in ring of honor but I, I I believe that's that was like a because uh, I can't remember the the whole uh, story behind it, but yeah, I'm just glad he was finally able to do it. And uh, overall, I mean, it was great. Uh, so I, uh, I I was kind of just curious. So um, Roger, what did you think about the whole thing and how they spun this with uh, with MGF? Of course, winning an OT. There are very few times in my life in which a near fall has legitimately got me to think this was over. I remember when Sean kicked out of the tombstone at 25, I jumped up like, oh, he might actually do it. When Danielson hit the knee, the knee that beat Cena, as WWE would call it, I thought he won the title. Like legitimately, I was like, oh, he did it. He actually won the title in, in round you know, number 63. MJF is going to say he got screwed. No big deal. This match was fantastic. MJF wrestled like a classic Ric Flair match. I, you know, when we did the year end awards, I said, I don't like that MJF is basically never present because I want to see MJF as a part of the show. This is the MJF I want. I want the guy who wrestles once on Dynamite, maybe once and at the pay-per-view, but puts on a classic match. But he's involved every single week and he's building a good story. He made the American Dragon tap out. I don't know that I've ever seen Brian Daniel tap out. Maybe he did it back in Ring of Honor. I don't recall seeing it in WWE. I think he did it as NXT when he tapped to Jericho, but I don't really care about that because that doesn't count. But yeah, I mean, so this was a big deal. This made MJF look like a superstar. This match was fantastic. They went 65 minutes. He did an excellent job of pulling out all the tricks. I think this is the best Iron Man of the 60 minute Iron Man matches. I think it's this one or Lesnar and Angle, whichever one your flavor is, so be it. Both of those are the top tier. This is better than HBK Brett. This is better than um, Rock versus Hunter. Like this is what I want in a 60-minute Iron Man match. And MJF once again finds a way to win. The oxygen tank was beautiful. They even talked about how at double or nothing he got oxygen, and now he can comes back and uses that tank to his advantage. And he, he truth be told, he outlasted Brian and he said, I'm gonna cheat. He didn't lie about it. He tried every single trick in the book and he finally got one that works. I love it. This this is the MJF that I said I thought we would get in 2022. He's becoming that cornerstone, that franchise player, that guy that you want to watch the guy who beats him next. Everything that we thought MJF could be, he's become. I love it when they do this kind of thing, though, in the Iron Man match. Just in that aspect, ever since I saw it, uh, I think, uh, Roger, we were talking about it earlier, where it was a Hunter Rock, where you get disqualified only to take the pinfall right back. Um that was a great concept back then. So it makes sense for MJF to use that kind of thing here in the, in this match too. And it was, it was wonderful. Uh, I love that aspect of it. I think this was a great, great match. Um, I definitely want to rewatch it. Um, the, but the last five, 10 minutes of this match, just everything, it, it worked. Um, <clears throat> the, the fact that I love that he got to the ropes and then he tapped and made uh, Brian think that he was, that he won. I thought that was a great, great add to it. I wish it would have led to MJF getting up and hitting him while he still thought he won. But, you know, it, it then led to the oxygen thing, which made more sense too. So it, 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 it worked. Everything in this aspect worked. You kind of saw when it was going to a draw that it was going to be one of those scenes where, you know, no, we're not, we're not going to end it with a draw. It's got to go one more. Um, I actually thought it would have been cooler if MJF knocked him out. Um, leading up to the final thing for uh, like the final win for uh, 
Brian and then thinking that he would get one more win to, to stay up one more uh, at the end. I, that's how I was kind of hoping it would end. But I, I love this way, too. It, it worked. It gives MJF the win. It gives him a strong win and tapping out Brian for the final thing. Um, it, it, it definitely worked. And what, what a way to pull it off. He showed that he could actually put on a good match and um, you know, it definitely deserved the five plus stars that it got. Yeah. And I love the ending too, where the ref hand, like he's got the belt and the ref's like, go ahead, like <laughs> go ahead and use it. I don't care. I will disqualify you. You lose the belts. And then like, that's when everything like just kind of happened. And I, I'm not a fan of Iron Man matches for the most part or 60 minute Iron Man matches. I should say just because it's a long time. You, you are, you're telling me no matter what you have to have an hour for this match. I prefer a 30 minute Iron Man match or just like a 30 minute match where I don't know when it's going to end. You know, that's exciting to me. I think the same as a uh, Nakamura match when we had seen it, that felt like, I don't want to say it felt like 30 minutes, but it, it was like watching a really great production. And I think that it was only like 18 minutes long, but it was like solid, you know? And then like uh, to what Roger said with HBK and Taker, it's like, I think that might've been like 25 minutes and obviously you have the entrances, the grand entrances and everything. And that was like, Oh, it could end at any time. That was really fantastic. And so this, though, Brian Danielson is tremendous in the ring. He is, you know, top three ultimate technicians of all time. You know, he is absolutely amazing. And MJF is a great heel character. I think that they worked really well together in this program. I think that you're going to see a lot of people come around on MJF who maybe are a little low on him who say, like, oh, he can't really do it. To be able to go 60-plus minutes I think is a really big deal. He probably earned some respect in the back. You know, he's a young kid. He's, like, 26 years old, so there's still a lot of growing up he needs to do and probably a lot that he needs to learn along the way. So I think that this is actually even good for his career just in general and also him growing as a wrestler and also as a human being. And I want to give uh, the AEW medical staff for actually putting the oxygen mask on correctly this time so um kudos to them and uh yeah but other, other than that like i i will say i thought i thought revolution was a was a pretty good pay-per-view um and so i didn't know if you guys want is there anything that you want to discuss about the whole show um I, to me i just felt like it flowed that this one was probably the the best flowing that they've had recently so um so i gotta give AEW kudos to that i mean so, Doug, what do you do? You think that the show like flowed properly, opposed to like I guess previous shows? Um, I don't know if I'm the best one to watch this one. I was on vacation when the the pay per view happened, so I may have fast forward through uh, some some parts to to get through it to get to the main title. But um, no, overall, I thought all the matches were decent, and it um, you know you didn't have the and I I I think I, best way to say it, I I never felt like there was a cool down match. Like, you didn't have that moment where it's like, oh, yeah, this is the match I'm going to go use the bathroom on. Or There was no match I absolutely skipped all the way through. Um, <clears throat> I may have watched a couple matches in, you know, double speed. Um, but it, it just, it, it, overall, I thought it was, yeah, it was a great pay-per-view and a wonderful ending. And, and Roger, where, where do you, do you think that this, you know, I, I know that, uh, I don't know if you watched it live, but did you think it flowed pretty well? 
Yeah, no, I uh, kind of alluded to this earlier. I liked the amount of matches that were on this. It didn't feel because like some of the old AW cards would have like 13 matches. And I was like, I don't want to watch a five and a half hour show. I want this to be nice and tight. Three to three and a half hours, six to seven matches, make all these matches feel important. And yes, one of these matches went an hour. So maybe there would have been two or three matches in that segment. But this to me reminded me of prime black and gold NXT takeover. I was excited about almost all of the matches on the card. They had good stories or they were good matches. This is one I want from AEW every you know three months. Give me this every quarter, and I'm a happy man. All right, so hey, let's uh, let's thank our sponsor, Hostgator. Are you a blogger, or a podcaster, or you're just not happy with your web host? You need to check out Hostgator.com. You're gonna find web hosting made easy and affordable. Hostgator offers unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one click through the shoulders, freeze up your hands on the best control panel out there. Stop by today, try a free demo, see how easy it is. And if you use a special coupon code off the mark, you save twenty five percent off your web hosting packages. So what do you gotta lose? Check out hosting.com. I can't bite every web hosting cost. And make sure you check out section eighty six is off the mark page uh, to click on the do- click on the top click on the banner at the top to save big items from wshop.com. All right. So this is a this is a very interesting topic that we're gonna talk about. So, Aaron. So what? we're gonna be talking about the fact that what? AEW there's some issue with uh, creative, maybe booking. So what it what what why do, what do you think they're actually doing wrong? Yeah, so you know I think that when AEW first launched, they were definitely the um, they were the hot commodity, right? They were they were the new kid on the block, new kid in school, and they had a lot of very goodwill because they had some really good talent in there, and then they started adding a lot of really great talent. Uh, you know, obviously you start off with the elite and you had Cody Rhodes, you had Chris Jericho, and then you had some other people that were joining. Obviously MJF was a young upstart, but people were paying attention to him and you just start adding piece by piece by piece and a lot of really great talent. CM Punk, uh, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, Claudio lot and, and even more, right? Like FTR was another one, really big acquisition, but they definitely are. I think in a a little bit of a standstill right now. And so one of the things actually I wanted to kind of bring up and, you know, we can have a, a free conversation about this, you know, kind of a free flow is, you know, the ratings right now, when we take a look at them, you know, when they first started versus where they're at now, it's, it's kind of a flat line and we're seeing, you know, dips, we're seeing hills and valleys in here where we'll see them drop into the 700 range. You know, they're in the 800s, 900, they get over a million, but then they go back down to 800. And I guess one of the questions, you know, and and just kind of open up for discussion, which is, Doug, are there any storylines that, you know, you are seeing in here that are really compelling to you? Do you think it's a a matter of they don't have the right talent storylines? What is it that you're seeing that is not making AEW, I guess, not maybe maybe appeal to a broader audience, but even to a a broader wrestling audience? Um. Couple things that I've noted is the aspect of when they acquired uh, Ring of Honor, and they started bringing over those uh, championship selves also over. Um, it it kind of became one of those things of too many championship titles. Everything was all about a title. There was no real feuds to, you know, that didn't involve a title. Um, I think they've, you know, and, and of course every industry has it you know everybody gets hit by the injury bug so you have those problems where i've loved some of the long-term booking of aew but at the same time it seems like they're so invested in their long-term booking that if something happens then they just put it on pause and 
they'll wait till later until it comes back and then they come back and then you know something else isn't working out um but they're dedicated to it so they they keep working on it. and that's why like i said uh, earlier in the uh christian and uh jungle boy uh feud it just really seemed like that just took way too long because of injuries um I think you have that problem, and then you also have that problem where they brought in a lot of great talent. Um, you know, where's Rusev been? Or, uh, I'm sorry, not Rusev, but, uh, yeah, Miro. that's how long it's, yeah, Miro. Uh, you know, where's he been? You know, for a long time, Brian Cage, where's he been? Um, you have great talent there, just you have so much of it, you can't showcase it all. Um, I think it'll be better once Ring of Honor becomes their own thing, and you have a difference of Ring of Honor versus uh, AEW. Um, but you have so many great people that everybody wants to see, but you don't have enough I, I, you don't have enough time to showcase it. I don't want them moving to a three-hour show because I, I think that could dilute a lot of it. Uh, I, I like the two-hour aspect and you know some of the stuff on Rampage. Um, but if you don't get Rampage, like uh, Roger said earlier, where where's Jade been? You know, because that's all she's been on is is Rampage. You don't hear about her on Dynamite, and it, it, it's a shame because she's a great talent. Um, but there's just too much of it. Uh, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, and I think that's one of the problems that they have is everybody has these dream matches too that they want to see, but. It's just it's going to take time to finally get to them, and then unfortunately something might happen, and then you get pushed down the card a little bit. You get upset, and you don't like your place in the card, so then you you start losing morale. How about you, Roger? Um, well, let me say that I disagree with the premise that you pretty much started with. I don't actually think AEW is in a rut. I, I in fact, I'd argue that right now they're better than they've been in quite some time. Um, there are some things like any company that you don't like. Let's be honest. There is no point in wrestling history that and I don't care if you want to go back to the attitude era. If you want to go back to prime NXT, if you want to go to when NJPW pretty much broke out in the Americas with Kenny Omega, where you couldn't look at things on the roster and say, things can be done better because literally no one is perfect. But at the end of the day, AEW has stayed pretty consistent rating wise. Sure, they're not peaking. This isn't Madden. People don't just go up uh, constantly and you don't get to two million and three million and four million. TV viewership on the whole is in a decline. Like, ain't nobody replicating Game of Thrones anymore. This isn't the NFL. People whine that the NFL is in decline and they're making 10 billion a year. I mean, just, you know, it is what it is. Also, I'd argue that there were some things that they took good chances and it didn't work out, namely CM Punk. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the man moved the needle. But he's also a cancer. The same way that WCW moved the needle with Hulk Hogan, but after a while, it became a bit of a poison, and you had to get rid of it. So they had to reset a lot of things that they were working on. I mean, really, Full Gear did not feel like a fully fleshed-out pay-per-view. It felt like a reaction in which they were trying to solve the problems from the summer. You know, Doug alluded to the point. Everyone's got all these dream matches. Well, Forbidden Door felt like a disappointment because we just all thought of these amazing dream matches that we all wanted to see, and no one really stopped to think, well, who's going to lose all these dream matches? No company 
wants to have their stars. And I've said this before, you don't want your stars to lose. So then it becomes instead of, you know, oh, let's put Omega versus uh, Okada. Well, well, great. But which one of them is going to lose? Do you want Danielson versus Okada? Which one is going to lose? So you either get stupid finishes or you get a situation where you have to put the top star against a mid card star. And you can still get something great out of it. Osprey versus Orange Cassidy was fantastic, but we all knew who was going to win that match. And the other thing that I would say is that I think the expectations game has changed. When we first saw AEW, it was not a very good show, but we loved it because it was something fresh. Look, at the end of the day is watching Dustin Rhodes and the Dark Order and some of the other people and Kip Sabian get all these airtime. Is that a better product than what we're watching now? Absolutely not. We're getting to watch MJF and we're getting to watch Ricky Starks. We're watching FTR. The tag division is better. The main event is better right now. Everything is better but the difference is that our expectations for AW in year one were low because they're new. And in year two, they were lower. And in year three, they get a little bit higher. And then COVID happened, so the expectations kind of leveled off and flattened. But now we expect them to be this well-oiled machine. You want to see what it looks like when things really suck? Go turn the channel to USA on Monday nights. Go turn the channel to Fox on Friday nights. That's a crappy, stale product for the most part. And Hunter's done a really good job of turning things around, but it's, it takes a long time. I just think with AEW, people are just unrealistic. They want everything to hit perfectly, and everything's got to be great. And why aren't the ratings? Why haven't they had a million and a half? Look, no one's going to draw a 10 rating on Monday night anymore. Wrestling just isn't that hot. It's never going to be that hot again. There is no second coming of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Accept it. Let it go. You're not doing the Attitude Era ever again. And also, we don't watch TV the same way they're used to. When we were all kids— you didn't have the internet. You didn't have streaming. You sat down in front of your television every night and you watched something at 8 o'clock and you watched something at 9 o'clock. Things have changed, but our expectations haven't changed and the realistic attitude hasn't changed. Warner Brothers is in love with the content that AEW is giving in. In, a, in an era where things are literally getting canceled left and right and more things are moving to sports platforms, you know how many things actually draw eyes right now in live television? It's sports. It's literally sports. That's it. And Warner Brothers says, please give me more of this. If that is honestly failure, please tell me what success looks like. What would an actual successful AEW look like in the minds of most people? And I'll start with Aaron. What do you actually think it should look like? Yeah, and I'm not saying that AEW is a failure by any means. But looking at some of the ratings and even just historically, and and I know that some of them – they had moved nights a couple of times, so some of those ratings are going to be a lot lower. There were some that were in the 400 range, you know. So I assume that those were were nights because they don't have the actual uh, they have the date, but not the uh, uh, the day of the week on there. I assume that those were moved ones. But there has been a number of their shows. I watch their show mostly live. I will say I watch Dynamite live. I don't watch Raw anymore because it's just three hours. Three hours is way too long. SmackDown. Every now and then I take a look at it. I will say, I think SmackDown has actually gotten way better. I actually took them off my DVR for the longest time and I've, I've started watching a little bit more of it. With AEW, there are shows where I'm like, oh, that was a good show. And then there's a lot that I walk away from and I'm like, what did they accomplish? Like, I could have I could have skipped this one. You know, is this a situation where I'm kind of like with WWE, where a year ago I, I completely stopped watching altogether and I could just caught up on the pay-per-views and that was enough. And even then there's some pay-per-views. I was like, I don't even need to see this. And with AEW, the thing that I'm not seeing is that there's not as much of a emphasis on a compelling product for some of the stuff. You had mentioned like Kip Sabian or The Dark Order with Dustin, Dustin Rhodes. And situations like that, I actually like Kip Sabian. I think this gimmick is stupid. And with all the people that they have there now, Kip Sabian's a he, he's a casualty. He's a guy I would let go. I'd get rid of him. He was fine to begin with, but he's somebody that I would, I would have fired. You know, I, I think uh, 
it's probably like two years ago now, is we were looking at some of the rosters like, hey, it's getting a little bloated. Who would you get rid of? And, you know, he's a guy I definitely would at this point. But there is, I feel, a lot of time being put on the wrong things. And with the roster that they have, they're not utilizing the talent that they could. To the point about Miro, Miro is somebody that I feel should be on there. I'm not saying he should be featured, but like we haven't seen him in who knows how long. And that's, I think, a really big mistake. Or when they have huge announcements, there was an announcement. It was a, a couple of weeks ago where um, Tony Khan comes up. Here's the big announcement. I'm going to have Adam Cole tell you what it is. Oh, by the way, we're doing a, a new reality show. Oh, that's the announcement. I feel like this could have been an email, you know, like I thank you for letting us know, though. Um so there, there's a number of things where I see there. Doesn't mean that I hate AEW. Doesn't mean that I, I don't think that they're going to fail. Doesn't mean that I think that they are uh, a stale product. But I think that they need to improve on what they're currently doing. I think about them a year and a half ago, and they were on fire. And it wasn't just because of the signings. I feel like there was a very good progression. I was watching Rampage. Uh, more often. I used to watch Rampage and I actually don't because they announce the card typically on Wednesday night and I listen to what it is and I'll typically delete or or not record it for that week because it's like, all right, you know, it's nothing exciting. It's going to be two very low mid cards versus two other very low mid cards. I thought that this was supposed to be on Dark and they're doing it on Rampage and the ratings for that one, I think, really reflect it. So let me go to my point because I think you made a, a good point about like, I, it, it sounds like they're not meeting your expectations. I looked up what the first Dynamite card ever was. MJF versus Brandon Cutler. If that match was on Dynamite right now, we would say, that's a waste of time. Why am I watching this match? Cody Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara. Okay, that's fine. That's an okay match. Hangman versus Page. That's a great match. Nyla versus Riho. That's kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. Um, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. I love Kenny and Omega and the Young Bucks. Do I want to watch them watch Jericho and Santana and Ortiz? Not really. It's not really what I'd call a dream match. But we love that card. And you know why we love that card? Because it was something new and it was something different and the expectations were at the floor. But if I should, if they put that card on Wednesday, we'd all go, what kind of garbage is this crap? Because the expectations have changed. And that's more or less my point. I don't think anything in AW has gotten worse. I think fans, ourselves included, have gotten just unrealistic with our expectations. The announcement that you brought up. Oh, that was it. That could have been an email. Well, yeah, not every announcement is the return of CM Punk. Not every announcement is Adam Cole being side. Not every announcement is going to be the next big thing. You just can't keep doing the next big thing. That's not possible. It's not realistic. And yet, so when people say, oh, things are stale, it's because your expectations are just wrong. Like, they're just... Well, with, with something like that, though, like the, uh, the announcement, like when you say beforehand, we have a big announcement that's going to take place here. Okay, I'm expecting a really big announcement. I'm not saying that that's not important, but if all of a sudden they they said that partway through, hey, we have something we want to let you know, uh, great information. We're going to have a new show that's going to come out. Okay, cool. Like you're not you're letting me know, but if you're telling me in a, ahead of time, tune in to see the big announcement. It's like okay, well this better be big because one of the problems is if you have somebody who is you know if you have a fickle fan, you know not somebody that's like a hardcore fan, they're like oh there's a big announcement. Last time there was a big announcement, it was you know Forbidden Door. Maybe this could be a similar thing. And then it's that it's like, oh, man, eh, I what was that about? You know, so I think I agree with you on expectations. But the I I think that when you are setting up the people's expectations in as well, if I tell you guys I have a really big announcement and I tell you that I got a new pair of socks, you guys are like, oh, are they comfortable? How comfortable well, are they? But let me say this. Right. And this is where I say I think the expectations are skewed. We are a certain demographic. 
we're not the demographic that likes Total Divas. We may not be the demographic that likes wrestling backstage shows. But if they announced the release date for AEW Fight Forever, we'd have gone crazy. You think any of our wives give a crap about that? Do you think a non-video game person gives a crap about that? I mean, cares in the sense of like, good, now my husband's going to be disappearing for five years. And, And that's the point. It's expectations. A video game announcement is big news to me. But it's not big news to the casual fan who doesn't play video games. And that's what I mean is that what seems like a disappointment to you, and I would agree, I didn't really care about that backstage show, but I'm not going to knock them for that. That's just not for me. It's not my demographic. Not everything needs to be for me. And I, I think that people just want AEW to be prime NXT. I loved prime NXT. There were plenty of NXT shows that were just okay. But I know that because I'm going from one takeover to the next. I'm Look, when Revolution sucks, give them crap. When the big shows suck, absolutely give them crap. Every Dynamite just – you can't book – 52 weeks worth of pay-per-view quality every single week. It's one of the reasons we both agree Raw is too long. You can't give me three-hour shows every week and be good. So it's like the idea that they're stagnant or stale is, would I love it if they found a way to utilize every single talent perfectly? Yeah. Is that reasonable? No. There's no roster where 100% of the people have been happy at any point in time. Miro, in fact, actually had an angle pitched to him, and he turned it down because he didn't want to lose. That's the rumor. Andrade, very talented dude. Didn't really work in AEW. Sometimes it just doesn't work. It is what it is. I. I, just, I, I don't agree with the premise at all. I, I've never agreed with this premise. I think this is whiny people complaining to complain because they didn't get exactly what they wanted. The same thing with Forbidden Door. Did I love Forbidden Door? No. Did I think it was a good show? Yeah. Did I think the expectations were outrageous and unrealistic? 100%. This has less to do with AEW being worse, and it has to do with more or less the fans being worse. They are the problem in this scenario, and the people whining are the problem. I, you can't tell me that the Dynamite I watched last Wednesday is worse than any of the Dynamites I watched the first year. I would put them match for match against the talent they have now, and I will tell you, top to bottom, you probably got a better card, 100%. Well, there's more I, I would like to ask with you, but I do want to go to Andy. Andy, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you feel like AEW is getting stagnant? Do you feel like they are in a rut, would you say? Or do you feel like it's they're just kind of staying the course right now? This sounds really weird, but I, I think they're just kind of going through the motions right now. Um, I think it, and and I think it's mostly Tony's fault because I don't think he had a real plan with Ring of Honor. I think the whole plan with Ring of Honor was to make it so I have the tape library. And then he's like, oh, but I get all this and this and this. But I felt like he could have done it. It reminds me of how WCW and WWE and ECW could have done the, the invasion storyline, which could have taken two to three years if you did it right. Of course they didn't. And I, I'm kind of like on that, that mindset, right? At least right right now. Um, I do believe that it's starting that they kind of went off the rails a little bit, but now they're back that I think that they're starting to come back on, but I think Tony really needs to have a couple other people that are more of a, I don't know if you want to call him. Pro- I don't know if you want to call him project manager, but something besides uh, what he has right now. But yeah, overall though, I, I do like watching AEW. It's it's been it's been fun. Um, so you think they're going through the motions, but they're not as stale or stagnant? Like because you're watching it every week. But are you watching Rampage and Dynamite, I'm, or I'm, just Dynamite? I'm not watching. Uh, I'm watching Dynamite, but um, I I will. I, but I do read like the recaps for everything else. But. If, for the most part, it just seems like I watch re- wrestling like three days in a row, and then I'll watch it on Friday if I'm bored. If I watch Raw at all, but okay, so you watch NXT as well? Well, okay, okay. Uh, I should probably put this out. So I've been having to do some stuff for work, and I have to like be. F- I can't. I, I I'm not focused, but I need to have something in the background. So that's why a lot of Raw and a lot of NXT gets seen is because I get to see like five minutes of it of a three hour show. 
or five minutes of a two-hour show. So that and that's but with AEW usually on Wednesday nights I'm free, so I'll just have that on in the background. But I but I will watch if something piques my interest. And then, and then Doug, any other thoughts on that? Aaron, my only question for you, uh, I agree with your aspect of big announcements and they, they've seen like they've tried to come out with some big announcements and they've just kind of faltered or not been as big. Would you say that they jumped the shark at all out when they had CM Punk come back for his first match? And then you have at the end of the night, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson come back and then you had Adam Cole show up and it's like, could you get any better? And I think that's the other thing that is like, that was the, for me, one of the biggest moments in wrestling of that year. Um, as in for talent wise, I know there were some other things that happened that, uh, kind of took our, uh, awards for it, but you have that big of a, of a, I guess, announcement or debuts and everything like that. And, have they truly been able to ever replicate that in AEW? And I think that's where you get off a little bit on the aspect that it just it doesn't seem as exciting as it has been. And and I, I can agree to that aspect, but I also like Roger's point in the aspect that it's still it is still doing well. It is still doing fine and, and it will be continuing to put out uh some of the best matches that we see all year. I don't expect great matches from WWE, but I do expect them from AEW. And I think that goes into the little bit of the lull too, that yeah, you, you don't hit everything every time, you know, you have the, uh, the death match, uh, with Kenny Omega that, and Moxley and, and that falls through and, and, and it just seems like a couple times, you know, the, the whole CM Punk thing and I think, uh, with the, the fight versus the elite has left a lot of people bitter, uh, about uh, AEW, just in the aspect that that divided, it seemed like the locker room a little bit too, and uh, started making things seem like they're not, you know, AEW is is not uh, what I'm looking for uh, invincible. That they're going to have those issues, they're going to have those problems, you know, just like any company has. But it's just, you know, not all of them are going to hit, and uh, I. I the expectation is for AEW to be better than WWE. And I think right now with Hunter kind of taking over the booking, the pendulum started to swing a little bit back to WWE. And I think that's what uh, is affecting a lot of people too, and their opinions and their, their comments. But uh, I, I want to say though, that, that, that I would, would that be the height of AEW? It was uh, that all out easily for me. Yeah. Okay. And same for Roger, and I'm guessing the same for you, Andy. Yeah. Uh, so it it's going to be like, what is it, what is it going to take for AEW to get back to something like that? That yeah, that's gonna that's that's gonna take some thinking. Talk. I, I don't think they should try to get something to back to that. I, I think sometimes you accept there's a once in a lifetime moment, and you just well, it's like asking. We've asked this question for 20 years. What's it going to take for WWE to recreate the Attitude Era? Answer: They're not. It ain't coming back. <laughs> Love it. I enjoyed it. Watching Austin versus McMahon was a truly fun and special time. You can't replicate that. You can try to make the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, but you never will. Trying to recreate that moment all out where we got to see CM Punk's first match back in seven years. We got to see Adam Cole debut and then rejoin the elite. And then Brian Danielson came out. You ain't touching that. Like, that's just not going to happen. 
Um, and, and let me say to the other point, I would have more sympathy for these sentiments if I haven't heard this time and time before. Prime NXT, we look back and say golden era. Do you know how many times I heard, heard people complain about NXT was so much better last year when the main event scene was great? NXT was so much better last year when the women were great. NXT was so much better— Shut up. Like, yeah, you're right. At times, they're going to be the tag team scene was great. And then the women's were great. And then the men's were great. But the expectations became impossible. Whereas over in WWE, we all I think we all agree that the bloodline story is the best thing WWE's done. But what competition did it really have? Was there any other good story that we can name for the last two years? There was actually anything compelling and interesting and worthwhile. So it looks like everything's rosy over there because the expectation was just be better than a pile of dog crap. Like, it is an expectations game. And you cannot fight expectations if you're expected to be perfect. All you can do is meet expectations. If you're expected to be trash, all you can basically do is meet expectations while failing. All right. So that's all the time we have for this month's show. If you're into the Twitter, you follow show at Altmark86. I want to thank 86 Productions for hosting and ending the podcast. And I want to thank all our listeners for taking the time to download and listen to the show. And for Doug Hahn, Roger Cave, and Aaron Hughes, I am Andrew Hughes. And until next time, we'll see you in the ring. Mm-hmm.